So today we're going to look at the Emmaus, the story about the uh, on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, the end of Luke 24. And the what we're going to really do with it is start with it, and then we're going to springboard into some conversations about like divine revelation, um, some layers of hermeneutics, or which is just a, a big $5 word for interpretation. Yeah. Right? So we're going to look at a couple different ways that you can look at interpreting and then really kind of shove ourselves into a couple stories. And then we finish, we're going to finish up by talking about um, Paul and maybe the ordering of how we read scripture together. Perfect. Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we are looking and listening with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of scripture and in our own lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. All right, so today uh, we're going to talk about um, Luke 24. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking or thinking around the, the text Luke 24, 13 through 35, which is, um, well, it's the walk uh, to the on the road to Emmaus. So, um, yeah. How do you, what, you got any, <laughs> are you coming in with anything kind of present within you about this? Are you excited? Are you like, oh. eh, don't like this? No, I like this. You like this portion. I, I like it and I, I have a love-hate relationship with the road to Emmaus. Why? Um, I think the same frustration that a lot of people have, it's like, we want more of the explanation, like what sure. Jesus is talking about. I, um, because here he says, like, the yeah. whole thing is me. But then I want to be, okay, Jesus, show me how. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. give us a couple examples, please, because that would be super helpful. Why did you leave everything he set out? Yes. <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I'm thinking, boy, did you bury the lead. You ever heard that <laughs> phrase before? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, okay, well, okay, uh, let's do this first then. So, the, so what happens on the road to Emmaus is Jesus has been crucified it's um, it's the same day as the resurrection, right? That's how it starts off. So this is the same day he's resurrected. And two of his disciples are walking from Jerusalem. They've left Jerusalem. They haven't stayed with the others. They had stayed with the others, but they're now headed somewhere else. They're headed to Emmaus and who knows from, you know, where. Uh, I always think of this as like the band has broken up. Oh, yeah. I, I saw an... Um, I saw an icon this week of the 12 apostles, the 12, you know, that we think of and which, and okay. I'm confine your thoughts, Daniel. Okay. So I saw an, and it made me sad to mm-hmm. like see the 12 together. I was imagining, you know, if, if Jesus's ministry with them was three ish years long, I was imagining that this like portrait was t- like, I was imagining a picture being taken at sort of like when they were their most gelled as a community Sure, and like, the heartbreak that, you know, like Peter or John or Matthew or any of them looking back, they'd look at that and they'd just be so sad because, you know, half of them had died and and then there's Judas. And anyways, so these two, we don't know who these two are. They're walking uh, to Emmaus and they bump into somebody. (laughs) Uh, You want to keep going? You want to? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, if I want to modernize the story a little bit, I picture Jesus walking up, being like, "Hey guys, what's going on? What you talking about?" Right. And um, they 
they essentially were like, where, where have you been? How do you not know what's going on? Right. Not where have you been, Jesus? Right. But who is this guy who have you been in a cave? Because everybody knows what's been going on. That's all anybody's talking about. Um, that's the the jive you get from them. And so then they continue to have this conversation um, about they're having a conversation with Jesus about Jesus and what happened to him and telling him what basically telling him what he just did. I I love this part. This is verse 18. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? This is what you're talking about. Who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them what things? (laughs) Which I love. It's, it goes along with that whole idea of, you know, us getting to tell the story. It's like, well, tell, tell me from your perspective. Like, obviously, we're standing above the story so we know who he is and in the moment. But I don't know, it'd be interesting to hear what how people talk about you. <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't be that interesting. <laughs> Maybe it'd be more terrifying. But they tell him from their perspective what has been going on. Hmm. And then I love his response to them. This is in verse 25 and 26. You are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have suffered all those things before uh, entering his time of glory? Yeah, right. They don't, they still don't recognize him. Yes. And not the, not that they just don't recognize the guy who's standing in front of them or talking to them, but they don't recognize Jesus's actions in this week and how they relate to all the things in the prophets. Oh, I love what you just did there, right? Like they don't recognize Jesus just like they don't recognize who, what Jesus is doing. Right. I mean, we're going to, I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit about the the two ways to read scripture, right? Yeah. And that even what you just did there is demonstrating one of the ways, right? You can, you read it as it actually happened. They, They didn't, they didn't see Jesus and then they didn't see, air quotes, Jesus. They didn't understand what was happening yet. Right. Mm. And then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining with what all the scriptures said about himself. This is the part that I wish I wish we had this more fleshed out or that I could have just been there for this conversation. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like all the things? Right. How long is this walk? Right. I, I just love that things keeps coming back up. I love that word. It's such a flexible word. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, right. Okay, so he he tells them all the things, and they still don't know. Right. So so they they see him. They don't recognize him. He says, come on. They don't recognize him. Then he articulates whatever all the things are to them, and they still don't recognize him. Right. And then they end up, uh, they they came near a village, which they were going, uh, this is verse 28, they came near a village, to, they came near the village to which they were going, and he walked ahead as if to say he were going on. I'm like, is this a test, right? Like, he, he he's going to keep walking. They're like, whoa, whoa, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them. And then this is where, for me, ugh. when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open. Mm-hmm. So their their eyes are open. At the table 
their eyes are open at communion, at Eucharist. And I don't mean just like the ritual Passover meal or the Christian communion. It, the table is just where we are always meeting God. And that's where they recognize him. And then the second they recognize him, he vanishes from sight. And then they say to each other, weren't our hearts on fire? Weren't they burning within us while he was talking to us and opening up the scriptures to us? And then they walked back to Jerusalem, <laughs> found the 11, and told them what happened. This is it's one of my favorites, too. So where do you want to start with it? You got any... Uh, you got any places you want to start? I don't know. Okay, I've got a huge yeah, one. Yeah, go for it. So this is for me. Uh, so will you go to Exodus 3? Yeah. Okay, so while while you're going to Exodus 3, we don't, if you're listening, we don't, uh, you're already there. I turn right to it. I literally turned right to it. I don't know how that happened. Okay. This is a little inside baseball. Maybe you care, maybe you don't care, whatever. But like, we're not, we're trying to figure out how to have these conversations. So Sarah doesn't really know what I'm doing and I'm not really sure what she's doing. So it's better that way. So uh, when, uh, well, will you read, just start reading Exodus 3. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock behind the wilderness and he came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. And God's messenger was seen by him in the flame of a fire out of the midst of a bush. He saw, here the bush is burning with fire, and the bush is not consumed. Moses said, now let me turn aside that I may see this great sight, why the bush does not burn up. When God saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the midst of the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. He said, do not come near to here. Put off your sandals from your foot, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses concealed his face, for he was afraid to gaze upon God. Okay. So, so uh, <laughs> on purpose, I picked this one to sort of smash up next to Luke 24 with the road to Emmaus, because you got the, the burning the fire imagery, yep. right? And they're both moments of revelation. And in both of the moments, both of them are unexpected moments. Uh, Moses didn't sign up for a class. And then the two disciples walking on the road were, the, they were expecting the opposite of encountering God. They were, they were imagining, they were living in the absence of of God or the absence yeah. of Christ, right? So you've got that both of them are surprise moments. But with Moses, you have that this is a, um, Moses sees the the bush that's burning but not consumed, and he, when he turns aside to see, God begins engaging with him. <clears throat> and Moses knows immediately what's happening, or he, he knows what's happening is special. He's aware in that moment, like the place he's standing, well, he's, he, he's aware that he's standing in sacredness. Yeah. The disciples on the road to Emmaus are not. Correct. They don't know it until afterwards, right? They don't, they're not in real time recognizing the divine presence with them. Instead, they say at the end, did not our hearts burn with us while like they recognize the burning afterwards. And I think this is really helpful to recognize that sometimes 
God shows up, God reveals, and we know it in the moment. We know we know it as it's happening in real time, right? Like it's like time and space slow down, yeah. and you're present to it. You 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 can you can feel it. You can you know, but then other times you don't know it until after it's over, and that's okay. <laughs> it's you didn't miss it, right? Um, you just you see it when you're ready to see it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Is that how it's functioned for, you know, mm-hmm. does it between those two things? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so I, as I was reading this, this week, thinking about it and kind of getting ready for our conversation, I, I wanted, I remembered that it's, I need to be careful to not, um, crave, to not, you know, want it, want it or expect it to look one way or another. Right. God shows up in a bunch of ways and back, you know, kind of going back to the Moses thing, it's when we turn to see that we're, we're ready to see. Yeah. So that's one of my, I, I think one of my big reads on this story is that it's a story about revelation and how divine encounters can happen for us or do happen. Yeah. I think that's important to keep in mind because you so often hear people saying, when is my burning bush moment? Right. And um, not to say that you won't have a burning bush moment, but it's probably not going to be a burning bush. And it might look more like the disciples on the road to Emmaus than it looks like the burning bush. And it might be something completely different. Well, I feel like I should tell a quick story. Yeah, do it. I interrupted you. No, go for it. I'm going to swear. So if you got littles, we're going to have to mark this as, what are they? Explicit. (laughs) Explicit. So this is actually on our, uh, the trip that you and I were on together to, um, to the Holy Land in 2017. We are in Arad. We are, um, in what's like a, well, for Minnesotans, for, for Northerners, Midwesterners, lakes, um, it was like a dock, but it was. But but it was like a dock out into the wild out into the the desert. It was this huge sort of you walked out on like uh, what's it called like on the ocean the a it was pier. like a pier yeah out and then you just could descend uh, on either side of it you could go swimming in the Judean wilderness the desert and so I went down as far as I could go without you know whatever and when I was I got down to sort of this cleft in the rock this ledge this hidden place I saw a bush. <laughs> I think I remember this story. Uh, it, so I see this bush and I'm like, well, gosh, I know what you do when you're in the desert and you see a bush. Take off your shoes. So I took off my shoes and I'm standing there. And it was actually, it was really an important moment for me because I, I got, I gained some insight to what was happening in the, like in the Moses moment or really what it feels like to stand on holy ground. You're vulnerable. You can't run away. Um, especially when you're in the desert, you're susceptible to creatures who might bite you. And if you see a snake come slithering to you, you, you it's going to hurt to run away. Now, Moses probably has, you know, more, more, I have more genteel feet. Yes. <laughs> not by much. So anyways, so I'm like, all right. And so, um, and then I just hear the, the voice of God whisper to me saying, hey, dumbass, sometimes God swears at me. Put on your shoes. You're not Moses. (laughs) (laughs) 
what? Oh, and just um, so God still spoke to you in the wilderness. It just wasn't what you were expecting. Oh my gosh. And so, all right. So I'm like putting them on and I'm laughing. I don't feel bad, right? Like that just feels to me like part of how it works. Um, and then I hear, because if you keep trying to be Moses, you'll never be you. Yeah. It's like, whoa, that's. So even there, you have these like layers of revelation, right? Where it's like, all right, you know, put on your shoes, you know, you don't want to step on something, you don't want to screw up the trip for everybody. Uh, right. <laughs> but then in the, even in there, it's the spirit, you know, saying like, listen, 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 listen to me. Yeah. It also, it means that we don't have to recreate the stories of the Bible in order to be faithfully living out who we are and who God has called us to be. That's great. I, I kind of want you to, <laughs> I kind of want you to say that again. <laughs> Cause I think it's important. So what, and let's see, what did I say? Um, that we don't have to recreate the stories of the Bible in order to be living out our true selves and to be living truthfully to God. Right. Because if we do that, we spend all our time trying to be something else or we fetishize the story a right. little bit or, yeah. It reminds me of the, yeah. the David and Goliath story when Saul asks David to put on his armor so that he'll be protected and David puts it on, but then he's like, this isn't, this isn't for me. This isn't how I'm going to do things. I don't need this armor. I, I'm not going to try to be Saul, which was a good deal because, you know, Saul had lost God's favor at this point. And um, he just goes out and he's himself. Right. Oh, I love that. Uh-huh. For me, that presents an obvious question with how to how to approach scripture if we're going to read it the way that Jesus tells us to read it in this road to Emmaus um, story I think there's a a trigger that goes off in my brain about proof texting like because we don't want to just like go pick and choose random scriptures and just jam Jesus into it and make it work and fit and so um, and yet there, it seems like Jesus is telling us, no, I'm there. You can find me. Put your back into it. Right. So how do we, a big question for me is how do we stay true to the original context, the original culture and language, all that stuff, um, while at the same time bringing a Jesus lens into it? Like, how do we do both? Because it's one of the things we need to be cautious about. And um, thankfully, there's a, actually a couple of ways that have already been laid out for us to do this. And um, the first one is a, an old ancient Jewish way of reading the text. And it's something that Daniel and I had learned from studying with a rabbi um, for a long time. Is It's called Pardes, and that's an acronym. And it means orchard in um, in Hebrew, but it's shorthand for these four words that are Peshat, Remez, Deresh, and Sod. And this is a way of reading Old Testament scripture that helps get a fuller picture of what's going on. And the first layer, Peshat, is the surface or direct literal meaning. And by literal, we don't mean like it had to happen exactly the way that it said or else it's not true. But um, literally, what is the text telling us? Rashi 
11th century French mm-hmm. um, rabbi, interpreter, commentator. Uh, this was like his goat. Like this is what he's known for. Yeah. Um, kids are growing up. They're given Rashi's commentary on the Torah, at least to learn from. And his, maybe another way to say it is it's like the straightforward sense of the yes. word. So you're not like looking for things that are like, oh, that's interesting or uh, tricky things. Yes. Right. It's like. What does it say? It, here yeah. here would be an example yep. of it. Can I do, can yeah, I do this? Yeah, do it. So like um, if you go and you read, uh, what is it? Luke 24, uh, 23, it says, And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels. So, <clears throat> right, it, at this point, they're not sure if they saw angels or a vision of it. Like right. It's, right. So, the, but you we, you miss that because we read it so fast. But you have like though they have no they have no no idea what's going on. Like, right. Even the women who saw the report who are reporting, it's not like they grasped it. Right. So that the surface level or the pashat of this is is functioning in a way to remind us that this is a very like unsettled unknown moment. Right. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Um. Then the second level is remez, which are the hints or the allegorical hidden symbolic meaning. Um, here you might see where words connect with other passages in scripture or where themes. Like um, if Jesus is at a well, well, there's several other times in scripture where people are at wells, like things happen at wells. Mm-hmm. So it's wise to maybe go look and see how those things connect. Um so looking for where there are connections elsewhere in scripture, similar stories, where else you find these words or ideas. Um, you can also ask the question, what, is, what isn't there that should be there? Um, so reading in between the lines for what isn't there, because mm-hmm. sometimes that's really valuable. Um, so we go a level deeper than the surface and start looking at other connections. And the third level is Daresh which is to inquire or seek. And this is where Midrash comes from, Mid-Darash, if you can hear from it, seeking. from seeking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is, um, again, this goes deeper into looking at more metaphorical connections within scripture. So it's it's quite similar to Ramez in some ways because you're looking for themes and connections, but you're um, now you're asking questions mm-hmm. in a different way. And like, what might this mean? Um, it's funny. I would have connected the first two a little more, but right. It's like, yeah. And then as you say it, I'm like, no, no, no. I see the surface and the hints as but like, oh, well the hints and then the, like the deeper seeking is like, well, oh, it's cause it's kind of a spectrum, right? right. It's, it, it, it flows. It's yeah. It's mm-hmm. not like there's, they're, they're not concretely separate from one another. Like one flows into the other flows into the other flows into the next. Right. Um, and then the final level is sowed which is the secret meaning. And this is like where the mystery enters in and some mystical readings, which um, can get real interesting. But also I think this is where there's a lot of room for Jesus to be present in the scripture, that these are hidden from us at the time because when these are written, nobody knows about Jesus. No, like Jesus doesn't exist as a human at this point yet. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. But with the sod, now looking back, that's where we can actually see Jesus. Like that's the entry point for us Christians to read to read it, even in this Jewish form. There's a way of finding Christ in this mysterious and hidden part. Have you ever 
Have you ever had a like a this one has always so I've played with right I'm probably very similar to you. I've explored these four different ways of reading mm-hmm. and this fourth one the sewed the has all, I don't understand it. Sure. Do you do you have a uh, an interpretation is there an example of sewed where that you can point to or that you've you know what I mean like you've bumped into hmm. and you've been like oh this is I don't I mean for me I think my biggest examples are um I feel like this is where I have the freedom to read Christ into the Old Testament scriptures the most clearly because there's this mysterious piece that's going on under the layers um that really can't be explained in sure. in time in real time in the text um I think maybe since we're already we already went to Exodus 3 Mm-hmm. There's a possibly an example there. Um, there's this weird thing. It happens in Exodus three. It happens elsewhere. With Abram has this happen, and uh, Jacob, Israel has this happen as well. That um, they have these encounters with God, but within the text, it's like, is it an angel? Is it a well? A messenger is a better word. Is it a messenger of God? Is it God Himself? Is it a man like Jacob's when he's wrestling? the word he's wrestling with a man god with an angel or a messenger all within the course like it's well which one was it because in exodus 3 right first it's a messenger, a messenger of god yep and then it's and then it's yahweh himself talking to right moses um and as the story is happening the aspect or the orient yeah. who is engaging is in flow or in flux or the languages right the language actually unsettles you from figuring out what exactly is happening is what is going on it's not i've I've used this example before in talking about exodus 3 that it's it sounds a little bit like there's a secretary that's made a phone call and they're waiting for the person to pick up and then they're (laughs) like oh i've got daniel on the line for you i'm gonna patch god in here but that's not what's actually happening. There's this, I love that. we have this, but we're told the messenger of God is in the flame of the fire out in the midst of the bush. But then when Moses turns aside and starts talking to the bush, it's Yahweh's voice. So, but we don't get this clear, like, and the messenger let God know that Moses was ready to talk. And so he's here. It's just, it's just all flowing out. Mm. So there has been speculation by many scholars, and I, it, I tend to agree with this, that perhaps the messenger is Jesus. Mm. Because if God is Trinity, if God is three in one, sure. they're always all there together. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God the Father are always there together. And there's something in in the text or in the way that Moses is experiencing this that there, there's this like unaware awareness that there's another entity, so to speak, there that's present. It's not only Yahweh present, but we have no language for a Jesus figure at this point in history. So, well, it's just a messenger of God. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it's not the only place in scripture where someone has an encounter with God that is first understood as a messenger that then becomes this morphs some point talking face to face with Yahweh or maybe not face to face, but voice to voice with Yahweh. Um, 
but there's no transition given. It's just it flows one to another. And that feels very Trinitarian to me, bringing the knowledge of the Trinity back into this um, into this reading. So I find a little bit of sewed in there. So it's helps. interesting because as you were talking, I was <clears throat> I was getting ready to push back mm-hmm. and say, but what you just did was all surface stuff. You made a surface observation, uh, right? You're like, mm-hmm. well, the the aspect of who's talking is different, and so it's like, well, who is? So it's an unsettling, as it were, as a as a person who's thinking about this story, you're immediately unsettled, and that's the text functioning if you read it almost hyper literary literally mm-hmm. right if you're almost like you're even a little fundamentalist woodeny like it's <clears throat> but then as you continued <laughs> i was like oh i see what i see what you're doing you were you were building from a a, a surface or a, a straightforward reading and then you were starting to wonder towards what wasn't being said yeah like well wait so the right and, and I love that scripture can function on multiple levels at once where you have this moment where who's speaking unsettles the hearer of the words you're like well yeah. I don't know who's speaking good you should be a little bit like I don't know what's happening when God is happening to you that's a good place to be right yeah if you you get it it's right it's, I don't know for me it's suspect if, if right. I've got it all figured out so you start there and then and then it was this dig and it was like oh it's exploring the mystery or the what's sort of happening underneath the surface. Right. And I'm gotcha. adding the piece of Jesus has told us I'm there in Moses and the prophets. Yeah. Well, this is Moses right, right here. So in, and of course, if we believe that Jesus is the be- was in the beginning, in the beginning, God, you know, Jesus, the word was with God and the word was God. Well, then of course, Jesus is present in this moment right. in some kind of way. And the Hebrew authors are just explaining it in the only way that they know how at this yeah. point. So. I really like that. That that actually helps me. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because <clears throat> when I think about like the church, the early church, they, uh, I'll, I'll link to this. Um, Father John Bear, who did a recent critical edition of Origins on First Principles and is, I think, rehabbing origins reputation to some uh is probably fair i've never um i've never really had any issues but that's because i don't come to i didn't come to origin by way of somebody else i just started reading sure and i was like man this is these observations are just amazing um so but uh, father john's on a youtube video which i'll link to and he's because origin has or the early church has like three to four layers that that mimic this or there's right you can go okay this is kind of this this is kind of that but father john says uh there's just two uh Mm -hmm. man i hope i'm (laughs) i'm butchering him here but he's basically saying there's the straightforward and there's the figurative or there's the the, yeah the right the spiritual or you you can call it whatever you want sometimes it gets (laughs) done into like the the body spirit body soul spirit right you get that that three-part whatever um just I think he's simplifying it and also putting it in helpful terms and and actually maybe origin only has two categories I don't know I'm not an origin expert but right origin and the the early church is saying there's two ways to read this there's the surface the straightforward um and then there's the like and then there's something else going on yeah. here and that gets wild yeah and my understanding of 
bears understanding of origin too though is that within the spiritual level there's kind of three different categories of spiritual so there still ends up being four even though he tries to simplify it because they talk about allegorical moral and analogical right but those all fall under the category of spiritual so yeah there's like two but with extra points that that's how I understand. He's, yeah. There's basically two, and the two, then the weird ones have variations. Right. There's different layers of weirdness. Yeah. But I look. I'm like I, I was looking like the allegorical is kind of like Ramez and Darish. Yep. And moral is a little bit. I think probably the most like Darish, like seeking inquiring. What the is moral this? fits into the fits actually into Peshat too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Moral is like, what does this mean for me? How, how does do this, I live this out? Yeah. How does this help me right. transform? How does this change the way I live? Right. And then allegorical or sorry, analogical is how we view it in the eternal sense. like with God. So I think this maybe is a good foundational episode for people too, because this explains a lot of what we are doing when we are talking because we're attempting to do a lot of this work without <laughs> breaking it down and saying, we're going to look at the analogicals. Like yeah, yeah. sense at this point we're just kind of doing this in our conversations yeah um, uh, I think it's helpful with that in mind to look at Galatians 4 yeah because I imagine like I did for a while that this is you know uh, there might be eye rolls we might you know some eye rolls might be felt like you can't do that with scripture how dare you you can't turn it into you know and then you get into the that, like that is scripture. If it's not a literal seven days, then is the resurrection? E- I mean, it, 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 it this gets sticky for some people. Yep. And so, what I just think is really helpful to look at is, and your heading probably says it in your Bible. If you look at Galatians four twenty one mm-hmm. through five one, the heading is the allegory of Hagar and Sarah, and you have Paul reading the the story but the love triangle between Abram, Sarah, uh, Abraham, Sarah and Hagar as an allegory. Yeah. Now the allegory we're not even dipping into what Paul does cuz that's a whole bag of worms I don't want to open up. But he's reading the scripture allegorically. Yes. He's it, it's it's so if you need to proof text, if you're, you know, if you're listening and you're like prove it to me. Galatians 4, 21 yeah. through Galatians 5, 1. Check it out. It, it It's doing that. And there are, this is not the only spot where this happens. Yeah. Um, in fact, right when you start observing all of the places where scripture from the Old Testament is brought into gospel and epistles and all of these other places, one of, one of your first thoughts would be, uh, if this was in a theology class, a modern theolo- theology class in a seminary, Paul would get a C at best. <laughs> it's a true story. Right? I mean, it's like, that's a, it's a that would be a terrible hermeneutic in many, not all, yep. uh, but definitely more evangelical circles where you'd be like, this is not how we read scripture. It's not until you tip into the traditions that are older, the great traditions, right. orthodoxy, Catholicism, some Lutheranism, Anglicanism. There's a shared history of reading it in a different way. Yeah. And that doesn't, I, I don't want to say that like a more exegetical reading isn't important and it doesn't matter, but they each have their place. I kind of do. You kind of do. I, okay. 
Well, here's here's. I just my, don't want to knock it completely. I think searching and seeking for context is critical. Yeah. And we have to recognize that on some level, it's a fool's errand. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, not that we shouldn't do it, not that it's not important, but it's a fool's errand. And for me, this is where I've really changed in the last few years. I think I moved from, it's my my faith is not based on on the Bible. Right. My my faith is based on an experience with the divine, with with Christ with the Holy Spirit, with the Father. Scripture, it all, it like, it it fits. Um, but I read, Scripture doesn't tell me who God is. Uh, that's, not, that, that's, that's true. Scripture does share, what, tell me, reveal God to me. Scripture reveals God to me, but Scripture isn't God. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, it's the whole, I, it reminds me of the whole idea that this is controversial, but Scripture isn't the Word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Right. Well, okay, so here's a here's a fun reading. You go to Genesis 3, 7. I think it's 3, 7, 3, 7, 3, 8. And it's the, um, and the, all right, hold on. This is the, the fun part. This is the flipping, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they heard the sound of the Lord God yeah. walking in the garden at the time uh, in the cool of the day or in the evening breeze. And there's a whole bunch of, that's the NRSV. There's a whole bunch of problems with that translation because the sound, it makes it, you read that and you're like, oh, they hear the leaves crumpling underneath God's feet. It's like God has, okay. That's not what the Hebrew says. What's the Hebrew say? The voice of God. the voice. They hear the voice of the God walking Walking. in the garden. Wait, voices don't walk? Voices don't walk. And it's not a hard jump for me to go from the word became flesh and dwelled among us to the oh. word is the voice that is walking in the garden in mm. the cool of the day. Uh, so maybe there's a sewed reading. I'm for sure. <laughs> um, but it, Jesus tells us to do this. Did, what? To, to look for him in the scriptures. And when he says, look for me in the scriptures, he is not talking about the New Testament. This is the day of his resurrection. The New Testament isn't even I got the pimples. being thought about at this point. Like nobody knows that there yeah. will someday be letters being passed around and even gospels written. Like these, They're so far out of the way at this moment. When they refer to the scriptures, they're talking about the Hebrew scriptures. It is the Old Testament. Yes. And they just call them the scriptures. They just call the scriptures. That's another father of John Barry. He's like, if calling them the scriptures was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. It's good for us. Yeah. Not the Hebrew Bible, not the Old Testament, the scriptures. Yes. Yeah. I only add Hebrew so that we have a, like, it helps me. Yeah. And I think others ground ourselves in what part we're talking about. It helps us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um. But yeah, this is what Jesus is doing. He's telling us to do this. So when we, to, I'm not diminishing the New Testament. I love the New Testament. <laughs> I think it's super valuable. So glad we have it. But at the same time, so many people want to just trash the Old Testament because we got Jesus now. But Jesus himself is telling us like everything you need to know about me is actually in what we consider the Old Testament. Don't throw it out. It matters. I'm there too. 
Well, and it doesn't make sense. Right. I mean, it does not make what Jesus is doing doesn't make sense without it. So, okay, soapbox for me here. Um, I think most people, most a lot of my, a lot of people I talk with dislike Paul. I am. N.T. Wright's book on Paul changed my mind. And the, the short version of what changed my mind was, he says, this is how easy it is to win me over. N.T. Wright says that Paul's a mystic. And when he says Paul's a mystic, I'm like, I'm in. Let's I'm go. in. Paul's a mystic. And that changed everything for me. Yeah. So I think everybody's base issue with Paul is how Paul's been handed him. That's not, right? Yes. That's, that's not new. That's a... I I was not liking Paul for a long time, and then I had a revelation that oh my problem isn't actually with Paul, my problem is the what we've done with Paul. With quote Paul's interpreters, I think is how we this is kind of talked about in the in the world around us. Right. So, and Paul is easy to preach. Yeah, because it's it, it's it it's instructive. It's straight. It can it's instructive. It can be read or preached in a straightforward way. The mystery can be pulled out of it. It can easily slide into behavior management, uh, right? And so we read. I think this is how we read, right? We read everything through the lens of of the of specifically Paul's epistles of of Romans. Uh, Galatians and Ephesians, right? Everything's, we, it's funny how we forget Colossians in there, which Colossians 1 just blows your mind. But so you've, you, and that's just part of the problem. I, I, this is how I would, I would suggest it. Um, we need to read the Gospels and the Torah, the first five books of the, of the scriptures and the first actually five, because I think Acts is part of yeah. that. In fact, Luke and Acts are one book, one really, book, right? Really, yeah. So you read the you read those together or collaboratively or coordinated, and even that, right? Like Galatians four, Paul's commenting on the on Genesis fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, somewhere, yep. you know, seventeen. Um, and so we we have to read through the lens of Christ, right? And we have to read through the lens of the story of the people of Israel through the creation, through the, the family, (laughs) through the nation, through the tribe and through their journey. And, and then actually even before they settle into the land, I mean, how great is it that the first five books basically stop before they get to where they're going? Like they still got to settle the land and that's where all the gospels end, right? The gospels end with Jesus saying, go, uh, there's so much in that statement. There's so much life and invitation and adventure and like in in scripture in these in in these narrative places yeah that then after you read that you can read paul and be like oh man he's just applying these stories to the communities he cares about yeah and he's paul among others who write the other epistles and such they're they're trying to work all this out in this these moments like right like the epistles and especially Paul, what what we're watching is them figure out how this actually works. Well, and okay, and let's take this back to maybe this is a great place to to well end or not. But we take this back to that the the verse in Luke twenty four where they um the the they well they clearly have no idea what's going on, right? They're mm-hmm. like 
They think Jesus doesn't have a clue. I love that. Where who are you? They, it's it's mutual. Uh, they they both think the other is missing something. Uh, <laughs> but they they verse twenty three. Some of the um, the. Uh, Women of our group were astounded. They were at the tomb early this morning, verse 23. And when they did indeed not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. They saw a vision or they saw angels. I mean, it, was it was it the angel of God speaking from the bush or was it God God's self speaking from the bush? Like we're immediately reminded that certainty is not part of this. The unknown is part of this. And it's an exploration of life with God. Yeah. Not a, well, and I, man, it's funny how the, the synapses start firing, right? I, now I'm thinking of like, go to a land I will show you, yeah. not go to these GPS coordinates. Right. How does God show you a land? <laughs> I don't know, I'll, I'll just go. Yeah. It could be another podcast for another day. <laughs> <laughs>